When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Anna, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today. Thanks for having me, Kate. Now, we're going to be talking about kids and the fact that they're not cheap because you have just released, very excitingly, a brand new book called Kids Ain't Cheap, How to Plan Financially for Parenthood and Your Family's Future, which, as I recall, is everything you wanted before you had your kids. Yes. um, (laughs) I wanted to make sure that I was financially prepared to have kids. That was something that was very important for me and actually... I thought I wanted to have kids before I met my partner. So mentally, I was already preparing at that time because I didn't have a partner and I didn't know what the future held. And in the case I chose to be a single parent doing it on my own, I knew that it was incredibly expensive, both from um, fertility and conceiving all the way through to having a child. So that was something that I definitely had to plan for before having kids. And then fortunately, I found someone, found someone to have a child with. No, (laughs) fortunately, my partner was on board as well, wanted to have kids. And um, and then we planned our financial future together prior to having kids. Reading through your book, I was was amazed at the sheer cost of things. Like it is not cheap having children. Like it's a big decision to make. It's a huge decision. And it's something that you know, you can't take lightly, especially with the cost of living right now. There's a lot of hidden costs that even comes with child, like having a child. Often people think of the initial things such as IVF and fertility, childcare costs, um, early, or as I refer to in the book, early childhood education and care. 
those are all huge costs and just the upfront costs of having kids. But then there's all these hidden costs when it comes to needing more space and potentially bigger housing, um, electricity and gas. Those are all bills that amplify as you have more little humans in your house, along with transportation and schools. Those are that's a huge topic. And food. Food is a big one as well. So, you know, absolutely. Kids aren't cheap. And there's a lot of hidden costs that you don't think about when you initially initially think about having children. Yeah, it's interesting because at the moment I'm just thinking my life's pretty expensive. My grocery bill's going up, like adding multiple other people. That's that's a lot to think about. Yeah, yes, it really is. I think um, I think also there's a big challenge for people when they have one child. They know how expensive it is. And then deciding to have a ch- second child, if that's something that someone wants, you know how much of an impact that can be because you've already had one. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that do get reduced as you have a second child. You know, you might be able to use the same car seat or the same pram. But as they get older, those are two different kids that go do two different activities that go to potentially two different schools at some time as well. And um, it just amplifies as they get older. What are some of the steps that you and your partner took to prepare financially for having your first child? And maybe if there's some steps you didn't take, what you wish you did? Mm -hmm. One of the first things we did is we looked at our budget and and how much we were um, earning and also what our expenses were. And then we tried to project how much it would cost to have a kid in the first year. And Funnily enough, the first year is not as expensive as additional years, but there is a big loss in income that happens often as you have one parent who takes parental leave. And this gets talked about quite a bit, but it is the only time really in your life where you lose income and you increase your expenses. So it is a like a double whammy. You're losing money, but you're also life is more expensive. And how do you navigate that? And especially for women, There's a loss of income because they're usually the ones who are the ones that take parental leave. But then there's also the loss of super. So you lose out on the compounding that happens over time. So the things that we kind of did is we looked at our budget. We wanted to make sure that we were actively still saving and investing while we could. Um, We were one of the things I really did was focus on the growth of my career and my income. So I was actually I, I got a promotion literally like the week that I was going on leave. Um, in my first, in my first role and in my, yeah. So in my first role, sorry, with my first child, that was something that was really important to me. So I really wanted to ensure that I was set up for when I came back. And that's something that you have to kind of think about. Um, we ensured we had the same financial goals because, um, We wanted to make sure we were aligned. There's a lot that you need to think about. Who's going to take leave? For how long? Does your does your job actually pay any parental leave? Do they pay any super? Um, Those are all huge considerations you need to take that we put in a big, massive (laughs) spreadsheet and looked over. The thing is also at that time, my partner and I did not have any combined um, finances. So we had very separate finances, but what we would do is we would look at our expenses together. So we would look at that. And now as you're projecting having a child, you need to look at projected expenses that are going to happen. So there's a lot of calculations that kind of need need to be considered when you're going to have a kid. So yeah, we, we ran the numbers ahead of time and looking at the parental leave numbers was a really important step before getting to that point because it's just a little bit too stressful when you're sleep deprived, have a child, you're trying to figure out how to feed and keep this little child awake and then figuring out your finances is just a little bit too late. So we did all of that ahead of time. 
Yeah, so being as proactive as you can with the time you've got, just so you really know the numbers, you're super clear on everything, you know what your entitlements are, because that's another really confusing part of the puzzle, just knowing even what your own workplace entitlements are. Yeah, because there's separate ones, right? The government has, um, you can have the paid parental leave payments depending on what your income is and if you're eligible. And then similarly, your company might be able to pay you some some time out, which is fantastic. And we're seeing more and more companies doing that for um, the secondary care, in many cases, the father, if it's uh, in a in a heterosexual couple or, you know, even a same-sex couple, just it just ensuring that both parents get some kind of time with their child is really, really important. And the benefits are really great, right? If, if a company supports that, there's also more movement that happens in a company, more people that can take on different roles. And actually, I moved in my own role in my old job due to someone taking parental leave. And had that not happened, um, I wouldn't have been able to move forward in my career. So I think there's it's really important that we have all cares take some time off so that it becomes more normalized as well. How did you involve your employer with the process? I was quite lucky with my first pregnancy that my employer was on top of this. Um, Our chief people and culture officer was a single parent who really advocated for good parental leave for people in the company. And that was something that I really loved because it then empowers employees to take that time off, to spend time with their families, but then also empowers them to come back in a great situation. So in a lot of, I was quite fortunate in my role that when I came back to that role, I could come back at three days with full pay for the first month. And then the second month, it was four days at full pay. And having that kind of reintroduction to work while supporting you, while with reduced hours is really powerful for people to come back and feel confident in their role. So I think that there's a lot that could be done from an employer point of view in in supporting employees, especially mothers who take a longer time off to come back to work. And what, what did you find the costs were in reality for that first year of your child's life? Yeah, it was a. It was definitely. Hmm, I, I don't know the exact numbers net right now on the top of my head of because um, I know you did a yeah. bit of research for your book about the the cost of the first twelve months. Yeah, it's roughly somewhere between five to ten thousand dollars in that first year, and it kind of depends on you know how you set yourself up. There's a lot of things that you can get secondhand to make it a bit cheaper. But, um, you know, there's a lot of upfront up costs. You're going to have to have nappies. You're going to feed the child. And whether that's with formula or whether you're, you're breastfeeding, um, that's still a lost in time, right? That's, it's quite time consuming. So all those things add up in the, in the first year. And unfortunately, the truth is that kids don't get cheaper as they get older. Because after the first year, if you take a full year off, you might take less. Um, in many cases, there are early childhood education and care costs, and child care is expensive, very, very expensive. So a lot of parents get surprised in the same way that I did. Um, my costs were the equivalent of my rent. Wow. It's huge. Yeah. It's a huge, huge cost, and especially if you've taken a year off work or more, or you're working reduced hours, that's a huge hit to families. And um, it's it, it can be a big struggle. And as kids get older, you think it's going to you know, be a bit cheaper because those costs are huge, but there are school costs, activity costs, food costs, transportation costs. Like those are the things that you don't really see because it's not big, one big chunk that comes out of your paycheck. It's here and there and mixed in with the rest of your (laughs) expenses. How much does it cost to raise a kid to 18 years old? 
A 2013 report by the University of Canberra said that for two typical middle-income family, it's $812,000. And a study by Suncorp in 2021 said that the cost of raising a child has gone up by 10%. So the thing is, we don't have more recent statistics, but if you kind of ran that number, that's $893,000 for two kids, about, and for one kid, that would be $446,000 to raise a kid to 18. That is a lot of money. Yeah. And chances are, because this data is a little bit older, we don't have more recent data, it's probably higher. Yeah. And that's not including private schools, is it? No, nah, it's just the average, right? <laughs> just, so <laughs> it's the average of low income, high income and somewhere in between. Yeah. I think it'd be a tricky number because a lot of people wouldn't be keeping track of all those costs. Like the food would just be part of the normal food budget and things like that. Yeah. So I like to think it's about $500,000, like the way I think about it. If I'm going to um, account for inflation and the cost of of food and and life at the moment, that's a lot of money. And if you have two kids, that's about a million dollars that you're you're spending on a child, on two children. Spread out over 18 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's astonishing how much how much they cost. Um, And one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, because you were talking about you had savings goals, investing goals before you had your first child. How did you manage those emotions of maybe having to reduce or put your goals on pause for a while? It's really hard. It's really hard because you're compromising some of the things that you wanted to do for yourself Um, now for someone else, obviously something you wanted, you know, if you wanted a family or, you know, sometimes there's surprise family members and there there can be challenges of of uh, coming to, to terms with you're spending a lot of money on on this. One of the things I had to do is just come to terms that I'm not going to hit my financial independence goals at the time that I thought. So I was well on way. And to be honest, I probably would be retired had I not have two kids <laughs> at this point. Well, not retired, but financially independent. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, that's just very hard when you have a family. And often you hear people who don't have kids who are like, oh, well, you can just, you know, stay home and school's not that expensive. You go to public school. It is absolutely difficult. It is very hard. And some of the things that I wanted to do, I just can't. So now that I've come to terms with that, our goals have shifted. I'm focusing more on spending time, being present and in the moment as a parent, because I'm not going to get these years back. Um, I have a very money is plentiful mindset as well. So I'm hoping that I'll continue to advance my career and income. And there are things that I can do as an individual. But also, I just have to come to terms as we do as parents is that you can't have everything right now. And unfortunately, that's very true when you have kids. You might not be able to reach financial independence as quickly as you can or get ahead financially or pay off that debt as quickly as you can. Mm, Because it's an interesting one because you might have set your financial independence goal at 20 Mm -hmm. or 30 and then you can't plan for every change in your budget and your circumstances. And so kids can completely change your, your goals and priorities in the short to medium term. Yeah. And and there are different goals that might come up, right? Before I was a very avid traveler. And now with kids, it's just not enjoyable. (laughs) You know, (laughs) somehow my goals have changed. What are the things that I can do locally to really spend time with my kids and have fun and create adventure and explore and curiosity? It's just my priorities have changed. So it's about looking at what I value with the lens of being a parent and shifting that, you know, Um, and Hopefully all all plays out (laughs) financially well, so. 
We're taking a quick break to share a message about Pocketsmith, one of our wonderful partners on the show. Pocketsmith is a customizable personal finance management tool that helps you be the best CFO for your household. Get on top of your finances, understand where your money is going and forecast ahead. Track your net worth up to 60 years into the future and reach your money goals. If you're ready to manage your money like a pro, Pocketsmith have a special deal for you. Get 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's foundation plan by heading to pocketsmith.com slash rask or click the link in the show notes. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. And now that you've had all of this time to figure out the numbers and budget and you've gone through the process with two children, what would you tell Anna a few years ago like that didn't know all of these things? Yeah, there were some really interesting things that I wish I had a better understanding um, when it came to taking parental leave or even just having kids. One of them was understanding the impact on my superannuation. I think that's a big one that people don't think about. You might, if you take a year off, you may lose out on a year of income, but you don't really think about your super. Um, A recent report by Founder found that if uh, um, in many cases, a mother taking parental leave, they'll lose around $16,000 um, of super. And then that compounds over time as well. And so that figure increases to $39,000 if they choose to take um, work two years at, at four days, which a lot of parents do, myself included. So that has a huge impact on the gender pay gap. The other thing I wish I knew was the government super co-contribution. There's also the spousal super contribution. And then there's the spouse super contribution splitting. And um, I get into more detail in my book about it. But those are options that you can potentially look into if you're taking that time off and if you have a partner who could potentially contribute into your super. The other things I kind of wish I knew about was the implications on the paid parental leave and the child care subsidy from the government, because all of those are impacted based on what your income is and what your activity is. So, for example, uh, how much you're working, how many hours um, and so forth. And all of that can really impact things at the time that I was going on parental leave. And this has now changed. But at the time when I was going on parental leave, um, I ended up selling a bunch of shares that I had from the company that I was leaving. So a lot of options I sold. This is great. It's going to put me in a great financial situation, or at least so I thought. But then I ended up going over the threshold, which means that I had to pay full early childhood education costs, and I got no subsidy for the paid parental leave. Now, again, speaking from a place of privilege, quite grateful. But if there are parents out there who potentially have a investment property that they're thinking, hey, we're going to fund some time off so we can spend more time with our kid, this can potentially impact your financial future, especially what you're thinking you're going to get subsidized. So these are things I kind of wish I had a better understanding when I was planning my own parental leave. Yeah. Does the government have any tools or calculators to work out what your entitlements are for this? Yeah. You can go on the ATO website and um, I think on the Centrelink website where they kind of do run this out. But all of the little nuanced issues around what you're entitled to, what you can get and so forth are on on many different pages. So I've tried to kind of outline that in a way that just is a little bit easier to navigate so that you understand what what the differences are. For example, I think with um, early childhood education and care, it really depends on what center you choose your child to go to because it depends on how many hours they're opened. And that can impact what your subsidy is for your child care subsidy. And had you not known that, it's really hard to navigate and figure that all out. 
So there's a lot of um, interesting little nuanced things when it comes to figuring out the cost when it comes to to that type of planning. Mm, yeah, it's a tricky thing to navigate. So it's good that there is finally a resource that lays all of this out in one place in your book, Kids Ain't Cheap. And what about the other side of having conversations with your partner if you're having a kid with someone else? How do you start navigating these discussions about before you have a kid, having a kid, all of the different costs involved, how you're going to split things, things like that? Yeah, it's it can be a hard conversation sometimes if money hasn't been something that you've discussed previously. So I think, you know, talking about what your common goals are, what your values are might be a really good one, starting with, you know, do, does anyone want to take some time off to be with the kid? And who would that be? How would we split that if if we're both going to do that? And how much money do we need in order to reach those goals? And having sometimes a common goal or a common focus will help navigate that because there's other things you need to consider. Wills, um, you know, it, prenups, if that's a if that's a thing, if you, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that you need to consider prior to having a child. So thinking of having a life together with this kid as a common goal and what kind of life you want to have is a really important one because then it makes it easier to look look at budgets, look at expenses, figuring out the costs and and so forth. Did you speak to anyone during this process? Because I know you've got some case studies in the book that was single parenting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's always harder for single parents because they are they have to rely on themselves. There's there's really no one else. So um, I did talk to a couple single parents who find it really hard and try to set up as much as possible ahead of time. And there's also situations where people go through separation or divorce, and there's a lot of financial impact that can happen as well on the parents, but also on the children. So if you can kind of set up as much of that ahead of time to try to kind of navigate all of that, and for single parents being able to have a village to to rely on as well, which I know is hard <laughs> as someone who has no family here, I can only imagine how much harder it is for, for single parents. So being as prepared, especially with the with the with all of the paperwork ahead of time, to make sure that you know what's going to happen to your child in the case something were to happen to you, in the case that something were to happen to your relationship, um, is really important in a way to manage and mitigate any risk. Mm, yeah, there's a lot lot of things to think about. I know so not everyone has the ability to have their family support them, maybe mm. with childcare or just having someone to call when things don't work out. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, like we've lost a little bit of that family as a as a village, and I feel I feel so envious when I hear of people calling their grandmas and grandpas to to look after their kids, um, because it it can be a huge benefit. You know, having family involved can financially benefit a household, but it also creates such important bonds. And the big thing is. The transition to parenthood is one of the biggest stressful times in someone's life because it is something that you change your identity, you change who you are, you change your relationship to life, let alone money. And so if you can set up those things ahead of time, you can be a more present parent. You can ensure that your family is more involved because there's less stressors to keep you stressed <laughs> and allow you to enjoy your time with your kids because that's ultimately what people what kids want you know they they don't want your things they want your time they want your presence they want you to be there so if you can try to reduce that stress and you know money being one of the biggest causes of divorce um it's it's great to be able to set that up as much as possible ahead of time if you can 
Yeah. Was a tool that helped you with this automating things like bills and savings goals and investing? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I said like it's trying to set this up yeah. ahead of time <laughs> makes it so much easier. But a big thing was exactly that. Automation is a huge one, whether you're just automating your bills or automating, you know, your savings going going to the side or having a system in place and having those systems really kind of reduces um, the time that you need to deal with those tasks, right? Yeah, because you're sleep deprived at the same time, aren't you? <laughs> oh, it's so hard. It, it, it is. Yeah, it is very hard for, for new parents. And I think that sometimes the reality doesn't set in until maybe that first year when you're thinking about returning to work or, um, you know. Yeah, hard things to navigate. And what about childcare? Because I mean, I haven't had to experience this myself, but I do read a lot of articles and I've had a lot of friends talk about just that the cost of childcare and it makes the decision of returning to work or do we work part time or does someone work from home? Like, How do you navigate those conversations and working out the trade-offs? Yeah, it's hard with early childhood education and care costs because a lot of times it's focused on the mom's earning because in a lot of cases, the mother takes time off uh, from work. And so one of the things that I advocate for is looking at as a holistic expense and not thinking about this or that, because there's a lot of benefits to early childhood education and care for kids, right? They're, they meet other people, they're learning new things, but it's also so important for someone going back to work. You know, women um, older women are more likely to be homeless and more likely to be in poverty. And a huge reason for that as well is due to the fact that they've taken off so many years to raise children and don't have as big of an income as potentially their male counterparts. And so ensuring that women go back to work, it is really important to kind of look at the pros and cons of of putting your kid in childcare. And it's an emotional <laughs> conversation as well. So I'm not gonna talk t t touch on that part, but I know that it's it's very hard sometimes for, for parents to go back to work because they, they want to be a part of their kids' lives. Um, the thing with early childhood education care costs is they're really huge. The ACCC just did a inquiry into the cost of early childhood education and care. And they found that the cost of early childhood education has risen Oh, uh, more so than inflation and wages over the past four years. In fact, it's somewhere between 20 to 32%. So it's really high and it makes it quite unaffordable for a lot of parents. In which case, this is a huge thing for, for new parents that they need to navigate these costs. And also, there's also a lot of implications when it comes to early childhood education because there aren't enough educators. A lot of um, centers are needing to shut down or asking for parents to pick up their kids because they don't have enough of them. These educators have quite low wages when it comes in comparison to other educated um, professionals in different fields. And so it's really hard to kind of even find a center that you are happy with to send your child. And this is a big issue that is happening across the country that we kind of need to look into as well. So all of it kind of the economy and what things are happening and who's employed all kind of filters down to parents having to navigate this space and wanting to go back to work. So there's a lot of stress that can happen in trying to find the right center, figuring out the cost of it, making sure that it's high quality, um, and it can be really hard. Is this something you've got to start thinking about before the child's born? In a lot of cases, you need to put your name down on a wow. wait list while you're pregnant, which is hard. 
Yeah. Which is which is extremely You don't know what your child's going to be like or anything. No, nothing. Um, And you don't, you might not know when you go back. Are you going to go back at three months, at six months, Mm. at two years? Um, And sometimes you get a spot and you just have to take it. In my case, I wasn't sure when I was going back to work last year and I put my kid down and I got the days and I couldn't say, hey, you know what? I'm returning back to work in July. It's like, no, you're taking the days in January and you're going to pay for them. And then if you go back in July, like you still have to pay for them. So a lot of parents may potentially also be paying for days that they don't want to use. So the whole system kind of needs a revamp, but that's probably a conversation for another time. (laughs) But But, lots to think about and Mm -hmm. something that if you are raising a kid with someone else to see as a a group discussion and a shared cost as well. Because there's a lot of different reasons why it is good for people to go back to work aside from just the costs involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and what about resources? Because we've covered a lot of different things. And I know in your book, you cover everything from mindset to preparing for parental leave, navigating the childhood education system, how to set your family's future up. So looking after your own wealth building and investments and savings goals. Are there any resources besides your fantastic book that you would recommend to expected or new parents yeah there's a lot of great websites um some of them is starting blocks which is which is focused on raising kids circle in is a really good one when it comes to parents trying to navigate or or caregivers um the world of returning back to work and also a lot of this information is on centrelink and the ato website it's just a little bit all over the place so because everything's all over the place i try to combine it all in one little package. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe setting aside a few afternoons in the lead up to just explore all of this, find out what resources might be available to you and what schemes you might have access to or how much. Exactly. Yeah. Because you want to do that planning up front and, um, you know, there's great little calculators to figure out how much of a subsidy you're going to get. So it's definitely worth checking out. The more data, the better decisions you can make about what what you're going to do with your career and your financial future and all of that sort of stuff. For sure, for sure. Yeah, you want to know your options. And that as a parent is one of the most powerful things you can do is just know your options for you and your family. Is there anything else you wanted to share with parents about the cost of kids in today's conversation? Yeah, one of the things that I think is um, very important, and especially in the financial space, a lot of people ask about investing for kids. But what I think is more important is as parents is to ensure that you are financially set up before you go down that route. So ensuring that your retirement is set up, that you're focusing on paying off your mortgage or having substantial savings when it comes to your housing situation. So ensuring that you are financially stable is far more important than thinking about your kid's you know, future education and future um, finances, because that'll work itself out as well. But if you can be as stable and as financially secure in the sense that you feel less stressed so that you can spend your time with your kid is probably the most important thing. I think that's a great message to leave people with. Anna, well, anyone listening, if you want to grab a copy of Anna's brand new book, Kids Ain't Cheap, How to Plan It Financially for Parenthood and Your Family's Future, you can grab a copy on Booktopia, Amazon, your local bookstore, maybe at the airport. Yeah, anywhere. Um, Thank you. (laughs) No worries. Thank you, Anna, for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Want to create the perfect ETF portfolio? Join InvestSmart's free live masterclass webinar on the 19th of June to learn how to build a portfolio of exchange-traded funds that match your financial goals. Hosted by money expert Effie Zahos and Paul Clitheroe, one of Australia's leading financial voices and the chair of InvestSmart. You'll hear about the evolving economic landscape and what it means for investors, as well as top tips on selecting the best ETFs. Ask your questions live and transform your investment strategy. Visit investsmart.com.au forward slash events to grab your place today. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.